Welcome to the C3 Eastern Suburbs podcast. We're glad to have you tune in today and hope this message blesses you. If you'd like to visit, we meet in Glen Innes, Auckland on Sundays at 10am. You can also find us on www.c3easternsuburbs.org.nz. Enjoy the message. We're fighting over these stores. <laughs> so I'd like to preface this by saying that um, just because we're up here doesn't mean that we've got stuff right. Um, oh, and I have to warn you, whenever I share, I cry. Hi. <laughs> so, so if you want tissues, tissues down here somewhere. Um, but yeah, look, honestly, um, it's a privilege to share our story. And, <laughs> and, and as I say, it's not because we've got stuff right. Um, we, we're just on a journey. And God's done some amazing things to get us where we are. Awesome. Hey, cool. Um, hey, we're very fortunate today. We've got um, our very fantastic kids and their partners with us to, to support us today. So that's very cool. And, um, yeah. and what's really precious is I've got some workmates here today. So, um, I do not have only two friends at work. See how this goes. Um, I was born in Zimbabwe. Um, I was born into colonial uh, privilege, um, and it really took me a while, probably when I was an adult, to realise that maybe um, my family was a little different. Too <laughs> <laughs> eccentric. You know, um, I used to, in the morning in my first year of school, I remember the domestic helper would come to the back door, ring the bell, I'd jump onto the carrier of the bike, and I would be carried, um, wow, I live quite far from school, about 200 meters, and um, <laughs> or if I'd be taken to school on the back of the, the, the seat on the back of the bike and be picked up again. Uh, I Later on, um, we, uh, my family, we lived on 16 acres, of land, about of that 16 acres, about maybe two or three acres was lawn uh, and rolling flower beds and peach trees and plum trees and mango orchards of stuff. Uh, really, very, very privileged, you know. But as I said, I, we had some some eccentricity in our family. Um, we had bad Uncle Mike who. Um, <laughs> So bless him, you know, he got shell shock from the wall, but he, and he used to chain his car with big chains about this thick to, to the lap, to the big post, so no one would steal his car. He drilled a hole through the chassis, and that, see, that was man Uncle Mine. We had um, crazy, crazy, crazy Granny Maud, who, um, she, she was kind of so large. One day, when she was in the bath, the water went out and sucked it onto the bath. <laughs> <laughs> And the, the domestic, we didn't have mobile phones in those days, this is way back in the day. And so the domestic held that phone my mom, and my mom had to go out to the farm and pour cold water on her so she would shrink, you know. <laughs> Get her out of the bar. You know. My mom, you know. She was a, she, she, oh, bless her, you know, I gave her pretty much drove her. And, and, you know, I don't know where I drove her, but I drove her mad, I think. She was not higher than this, you know, and uh, 
showed a real strong stock. Um, I remember one day the uh, the, the gardener coming running and saying, Madam, 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 uh, there's a big snake in the yard and we used to try and um, kill snakes because of the dogs. My mom and dad had a pack of dogs and enjoy a fight. When you get to know me better, I'll tell you how my mom solved the problem of the dogs fighting. Not for today, eh, babe? No. Um, <laughs> and my mom, Peter, go get the shotgun. Into the gun cabinet, get the shotgun. And I remember my mom going out and in amongst all the peach trees, there's the snake. And my mom, I don't think she's ever shot a shotgun in her life. And she gets this thing up and she pulls the trigger. Normal noise and then we look away from my mom. <laughs> she's in the flipping peach tree. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and she's got blood pouring down her lip. She's got a black eye, her arms hanging limb. But she got snake. <laughs> <laughs> we had to like, help her out the tree. Um, my dad, he used to organise these, um, on this big property, we had all this lawn, and he always used to organise these, uh, what would you call it, I don't know, colonial get-togethers, I don't know, in the hot, you know, sun, and we'd play lawn bowls, and we'd play croquet, and we'd have, we'd have all the, all the sort of uh, domestic helpers coming around, giving us beers in the sun, and it was just chaos, you know, the day drew, drew on to, to close, it'd be Uncle Ian and his, um, kilt, you know, falling off the chair. <laughs> kind of like, that's just a picture of kind of my family environment. My parents were, were not Christians, but a good family. Loved us kids, we never went without. And, and, and I remember one day, and, and, and based on this, is I give my little part of the testimony today, a title is, you can run, but you can't hide from God. And it was a time from a young age. I used to go and see Mr. McGrady. I used to get the strap regular, you know. I used to get kicked out of boy cubs for putting on the little, you know, I was a sixer or something in the pack, you know. And then all the little kids that didn't behave, I hung them on the, <laughs> I hung them on the hook, you know. I was removed from but. You know, <laughs> I remember sitting one day in my mom's garden, which the most beautiful garden, you know, and um, it's unbelievably beautiful. I remember sitting there playing with a, a thing called a chungalolo. And chungalolo is like a millipede, like a black long thing with many, many, many legs. And I remember playing with this chungalolo and looking out at the garden and saying, you know something? I, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not happy with the fact that I'm come from a monkey. There must be something far greater than, than that, looking at this stuff. It doesn't make sense to me. And from a very early age, I remember having this real vacuum or void in my, in my spirit, in my soul, which said, it's, it's not complete. <laughs> you know, and this was my nemesis, was this void. I, I even remember saying to my mom one day, can you take me to Sunday school? So mom, oh, my kid wants to go to Sunday school, fantastic. So I went off to Sunday school. I remember rocking up to Sunday school saying, hey, it seems to be that the, the thing is around church is where you go for this kind of stuff, you know? And I rock up there and I just remember these kids, at church, 
You know, they, they were strange, man. They were, they were pretty strange. And the parents, they were weird, man. You know, also nice and smiling. And it was just, it was just too hard for me, you know, all that niceness kind of stuff. You know? So I put that on back burner. And I pick up a bit of time now, and I'm going to take you on a journey. You may or may not be shocked, I don't know, but um, enjoy it for what it is. And I'm going to take you through, when I look back, and for the last couple of weeks on my way to work and back from work in the, in the, in the traffic, which means I've got a lot of time to think about it, I'll be thinking about some of the stuff. And the more I think about it, the more I say, I should have been dead and I should have been in jail many times. You know, and let me take you on a bit of this journey. I'll go back to my friend, his name was Charlie Campbell, and we were we, we broke into my dad's gun cabinet and uh, he pulled out a, a high-powered rifle. It should be safe, but we were very careful with, with, with um, weapons, um, and he turned around to me and we're in my room and he said, Pete, put up your hands. And I went, no, and he pulled the trigger. And you should have heard click, you know. Instead, I, there was this loud roar. And as I looked around, I thought, um, what? Because I, I looked down into the barrel of the thing where he pulled the trigger. And there was just all this orange wallpaper floating down around me. And I think, oh, my mom's going to be really mad. <laughs> and I looked, Charlie looked at him. Look, there's no holes. You know? Patch the wall up. Well, that was a lucky mistake, you know? <laughs> we go on through 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 life, and um, I get into um, my teens, and I was I was really, I was naughty. Um, and um, we used to shoot the cars going by with pellet guns on the main road. We, um, we, we kind of got involved in, 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 in dumb stuff. My friend, we, we, I got to the point where I had a car and, and, and I had my friend Malcolm. And, and one day I remember we, were, we broke down on the road. It was hailing and it, when it hails in Africa, it hails. It was, we couldn't see where we were going. So Malcolm was, Peter, I had this little 850 mini. He said, Peter, I've got a plan. Wind down the back windows, wind down the front left window. He put his ankles in the back windows. We pulled, we did this, we got his ankles tight in the back windows. We put his wrist in the thing, so he was locked in three points of contact on the roof. And he was on the roof with his, with his T-shirt, like this, you know, <laughs> like a windscreen wiper. <laughs> the police court stopped us, what are you doing? He's a windscreen wiper. <laughs> <laughs> on the Monday, principal's office, caning. Malcolm, what injured? He comes up a lot. Oh, Malcolm got injured at, at, at football. He, he couldn't get, couldn't get him into my mini because his ear was so sore. So I said, we had watched this movie around um, helicopters with these things on the side where you put wounded people. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the back boot, you undo the back boot on the little cards of thing that flaps down like this. Now, that one. He lay on there and held inside the boot, going down the road to take him home. You know, the helicopter. And uh, <laughs> police stopped us. What are you doing? Kazavak, helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> Monday, caning. Because the police didn't cane us, they just got the school to cane us, you know? So, you know, that happened. 
um, then, you know, um, my friend Neville, we're going along, we, we're, we're all souped up, you know, we've, we've been um, drinking a whole lot of stuff, um, going down the road, and we're up to go as fast as we can in his little Julieta, come to the top of the hill, and the guy did a U-turn, smash into the into this car, and I go straight through the windscreen, I'll think out onto the bonnet, to the hospital, patch me up, you know? We um we go along, we're having a soccer game, and we um we win the Coca-Cola Cup. We get really frightfully um full of stuff, you know? And um <laughs> we uh Elvis says, let's go. We have to go home now. Or off we go home. So he drops his girlfriend at the, at the, at the, this guy, Albie. Um, later on in life, I led him to the Lord. He's been serving 30 years in Africa. That's a pastor. Anyway, so we go to the Lord in, in his little panel van. Me and Deuce, we, we're sitting on the back on because the seats have been taken out. We were sitting on upturned beer crates. Um, so we were sitting in the back and we go to this big ramp. Um, up to like a railway bridge off and as we land the, the wishbone of the of the um, mini buckle breaks and I get thrown out the side window and the car that and it rolls the person that was behind us saw me come out said oh that person's dead but hit the lamppost and bounced away um, that day uh, my, my cousin was a medic in the army we couldn't go to the hospital because they called the police so my cousin operated on me on the dining table of his mom's house, <laughs> taking the right. glass and stitching me up. Um, so, you know, and as I got a bit older, more and more around drink, I used to drink a lot, a, a, a huge amount. I used to um, smoke medicinal herbs a lot, <laughs> quite a bit actually. Um, and, and so we just did crazy stuff. <laughs> We, 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 we just, we're dumb. And, and the last couple of stories I'll tell you before I move in to another part of my life is that in my hometown, as I said, I should have been dead with those accidents, should have been in jail. We were sitting in a pub once and uh, firearms were really freely available in those days in, in Zimbabwe, we had a civil war going on. We ran out of money, so my friend had a, a, a 32, special so i said hey let's get some money and i pulled this weapon out and there were some people sitting next to us and i said give me all your money we want more drink and this guy those people they got up and left i went next minute we got a message get out of there get out of there quick they came back to the thing it was a, a he was a notorious gangster oh. of my town and he came back to the gun battle with AK-47s and rocket launchers. My whole town, the front, the, the, the police closed the town down, but we escaped out the back and um, off we went. We're on the run now, I was on the run for a weekend from the police. We got out to a place about 60 k from my hometown can you believe it? It was a police camp. 
<laughs> the police were looking at the police camp at a party. <laughs> and we got into a big fight and we were doing a boxing game and we were evicted from the party. So on the way back, there's myself, Neville, and his friend Desmond, his brother Desmond. On the way back, we said, guys, man, we need some more beer. <laughs> oh, there's a, there's a, 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 well, we used to have a lot of like illicit drinking houses in Zimbabwe. We pulled over the side of the road, went to the boot, got out the 303, walked in and held this place up, you know. So, <laughs> the time it was, um, made a lot of sense. So there we had, there's another thing. So we, we pulled the Weber, we had a, the town closed down, we had an armed robbery of this blooming liquor store. We had lots of beer. We were on the run. On the Monday I got arrested at work, which was humiliating. <laughs> but my life was just spiraling out of, out of control. I was banned from five of the six possible places where you could drink at in my hometown. The sixth place was where all the, the prostitutes and the drug dealers hung out, you know, so I couldn't go anywhere. I wasn't gonna go there, you know, so it was, a crazy thing that was was going on, you know, in, in my life, really just out of control. As a result of this whole incident, um, my dad was uh, was very friendly with a with a, with a local high-ranking police officer. He said, "Ben, the best thing for your for your son is now marked. They're looking for a reason. We want to make a show of this whole lot of bad behaviour that's going on in Zimbabwe. It just becomes Zimbabwe, you know, from Rhodesia." He needs to get out of town. And so I was sent to South Africa to another job that had been set up for me. Said my goodbyes and went, okay. Off I went to South Africa. Within uh, about 15 days, first two weeks of South, in South Africa, the first time that I'd had a, a really bad, serious accident, I've had all of these other accidents. You know, I nearly killed some people. I want to tell you young people about drink. In Zimbabwe, I had four, three people in the car with me, myself four, and I decided I'm going to play chicken with two trucks. You know, one going this way and this one going this way. And um, I nearly put four people, I nearly killed four people. But both the windscreen mirrors were smashed. That's how close it was. You know, you don't, you don't want to do that do that type of stuff, you'll kill somebody. Um, so I get to South Africa, first time I'm clean, cold, sober, on my way to work, I had an accident, a motorbike we're driving, hit a car, me and my friend, we traveled, and the police measured it, um, 101 feet through the air, that's equivalent of one lamppost to another lamppost. I spent three months in intensive care with 17 broken bones. Um, and you know what? It was all around us, just trying to fill this vacuum in my heart, in my soul. One last story before I take you overseas. I remember one day, on the previous day, we'd be taking some medicinal herbs, and I was on my way to work, and the car just took over from me, you know? It, it took away all my energies into itself, you know, and the car drove itself, and I remember there was a line of about 50 of these little fir trees that had been nicely planted on the mine, and the mines were like self-contained city, and I just drove all over, all, I said, if I line up with those on the center of the car, I'll go straight, and off I went, and I mowed down 50 of these little trees, you know, 
on my way to work. Next day, looking at this one, going, what mayhem, you know, this, this is dumb. Anyway, I then went overseas. I finished my, my apprenticeship. I went overseas, traveling overseas, and I was really looking for, I guess, the meaning of life. And off I was going, uh, looking for the meaning of life, and um, traveling around Europe, traveling around Europe. I'm on a boat from Greece back to Italy. I'm sitting on this boat, and these two guys come up to me and say, hey, dude, you want a Coke? I went, yeah, I'll have a Coke, what do you want? I said, no, we just want a Coke to have a chat. Yeah. Bought me a Coke, but they held it like this, so I didn't take it, you know, I remember these two. They were Australians. And they asked me, I said, hey, dude, um, if you died today, you know, maybe you died today, do you know if you'd end up in heaven and hell? I went, well, you know, um, I was about to tell them, well, I've never really shocked anybody, but then one thing I didn't tell you was that I shocked my, I didn't shoot somebody. It was by accident, but I shot somebody. Um, it's my mom's domestic helper. It was an accident. Um, but I nearly killed a, a man, you know, just by being done, doing stupid stuff. And these guys then said, well, look. I said, well, I think I'll be in heaven. Why would you be in heaven? I said, well, I'm kind of like a good guy. <laughs> they then said, I said, let me tell you something. Can we share something with you? I said, yeah, sure, you can share something. And they said, look, let me tell you about Jesus. Okay. Now, Jesus, you know, he, uh, God, you, you, you were born a sinner. Okay, I didn't quite understand this. You were born a sinner. Who met him? Okay. He says, but God so loved everybody that he wanted a redemption plan in place. Okay. Big word. And so uh, he sent Jesus to die for you on the cross. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I kind of know about that. He says, and um, then Jesus rose again victorious after three days so that you, if you believe in Jesus and confess Jesus Christ is your Lord said, you'll be saved and you will have eternal life. Whoa, I've been searching for years and years and years to fill this empty space in my heart, in my soul. And they said, you, you, know, you understand what I said? I said? Yeah, 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 cool. The one guy turned around to me and said, would you like to accept Jesus into your life today? And I mean, not today, guys. I'd been searching for this whole thing, and I turned around at this point in time when I most needed something. And I said, it's not for me today. Anyway, I came back to South Africa. My friend Neville had put me through the car windscreen, uh, who'd been on the run with me, and all of those things. I phoned him up, I said, Neville, I need a place to stay. I got back, I got no money. I said, Pete, come on over, come for supper. I went for supper that night, and Dawn is where I met her. She'll continue the story. All right. Okay, so, <clears throat> sorry. I, <clears throat> I grew up in England in a little village. Um, the Basically, if you were a girl, you were going to go and work in the in the factory that made 
um, tights and socks. And if you're a guy, you were going to go work in the coal mine. And if you were really clever, you could go work in the bank. And, and that's where I grew up. And it was a, a really a cute little place. Um, it's called Kirkby and Ashfield. It means church in a field. And that pretty much sums up about the size of the, the village that I grew up in. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I had a fairly, I had actually had a really normal childhood. Um, <clears throat> but I hit my teenage years just as punk rock hit England. So um, there is no photographic evidence. I'm, I'm very happy to share this with you. Um, but I spent a long time um, basically walking around wearing black. Um, everything, including lipstick, was black, and I had a purple Mohican. And I thought I looked fine. And earrings up here. You know, body piercing didn't exist then, otherwise had way too many things pierced as well. Um, but that, that was that was my childhood. Um, I had a very sensible childhood. And But when I was 18, uh, in fact, just before I turned 18, my childhood sweetheart um, had gone to South Africa on a, on a contract. And so literally three days after my last um, A-level exam, I got on a plane and flew to South Africa to go and basically you know, be with him. I had a, a three-month holiday in between finishing school and, and starting university. I had, um, and literally the day before I was supposed to fly home, I phoned my mom and said, "Oh, by the way, don't don't go to the airport tomorrow. I um, I won't be there." And I stayed in Africa. Um, shortly after that, I realised I actually didn't really like this guy that much. Um, but I had fallen. In love. <laughs> I had fallen in love with Africa, um, and so. But anyway, so I moved into what was called a commune, um, which is a, a shared house, and that's where I met my intrepid assistant to my left. And I remember our first. I don't even think it was a date, really. Um, one of the couples in the in the house was getting married. And we had to go, we drove from Johannesburg to Durban. Where's our Durbanite? Um, there we go. So we drove in this combi van all the way from Joburg to Durban, which was a good, what, five or six hours. We'd taken all the seats out. We had mattresses in the back. And the entire way to Durban, Peter explained to me why a Zimbabwean could not marry a British woman. <laughs> they sold us out. And, and it had something to do with not being obedient and, and all this. And it was a bit submissive, I don't know. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so the whole way there. But anyway, um, that's literally when, when we started dating, basically. Um, Yes, I did save the cake. Um, basically, Peter had, had a few drinks because he was obviously trying to work up courage to ask me to dance. And um, I got up to dance with him and discovered that he can't dance. Do not ever, he can't sing and he can't dance. Don't go there. Um, but anyway, he was dancing badly and I'm thinking, oh, I'm actually not doing this. This is just not cool. So I walked away. And he decided, oh, no, that didn't work. I better get her attention another way. So he went outside and he found a children's tricycle. <laughs> and he came barreling back into the hall on the tricycle, <laughs> heading for the cake, saying, 
Dance with me or I'm going for the cake. <laughs> <laughs> so I danced with him. Um, so anyway, yeah, we, we got married. Um, we had Emma, our eldest, who's unfortunately not here today. She's in Melbourne. And, but by this time, probably Emma was about, I don't know, 18 months old. And I'd started to realize that um, this fun-loving party animal, in fact, his nickname was actually The Animal. So, um, but this fun-loving party animal that I'd fallen in love with and married actually was still a party animal. But we had a child. We were supposed to be grown-ups now. And, you know, as I said to somebody at the time, I actually felt like a single mom with the privilege of two incomes. Because Peter used to, he worked away on contracts a lot of the time, and he'd come home on Friday night from Europe at Sun City a lot of the time, and he'd come back. But if he was running late, he'd go straight to the pub, because it was very important to get his Friday night time in with his mates at the pub. And then we'd spend the whole of Saturday at cricket because he loves his sport, and then of course you have to have a few drinks after the cricket. And so then I'd have to drive him home, and then Sunday would be recovering, Sunday night he'd go back to work. That was my life. And so anyway, I thought, well, actually, you know, this, this is not working for me. I loved him, I just didn't like him. I didn't like what was happening. And, and it was pretty clear that, that he wasn't about to change. So being the planner that I am, <laughs> I started studying, because I figured, well, if I leave him, I'm going to have to support myself because it was pretty clear that, you know, he was happy-go-lucky, this was his life, this was my life, sort of out sister. So I was studying for my degree and then um, Tony came along and, um, yeah, and then basically one, it was Easter, Easter 1993. <laughs> Tony was about five months old and Emma was three and a half. Anybody here got a three and a half year old? Or close? They're little, yep, they're little. Um, and anyway, we went up to Zimbabwe. So basically every Easter, every Christmas, we'd go back to Zim to be with his mom and dad, who I adored, absolutely adored. In fact, if his mom phoned the house, She'd always, and if Peter answered the phone, she'd say, oh, hi, Peter, how are you? Yeah, can I talk to Dawn, please? <laughs> <laughs> so um, we had a really good relationship. So anyway, long story short, we were in Zimbabwe, and Peter's cousin, Andrew, has a, um, a farm where they rescue um, the big cats, injured lions, and um, yeah. Who, who've been injured in the wild, they rehabilitate them, and then they ship them to zoos around the world. It's an incredible place. Um, and we'd been there before, and we, we actually had the most amazing experience when I was pregnant with Emma, where we went bushwalking with these animals, two, two fully grown lionesses, we went bushwalking with them. And the only protection we had was a bamboo stick. So as we were walking, these lionesses were literally brushing up against us. You could tickle them behind the ears. I've got photographs. Um, in fact, if you remind me, I think I've got it on my phone, of Peter actually playing rough and tumble with these lionesses like you would with any 
any big dog, you know, like a St. Bernard or something. So I guess, I guess with hindsight, we had a little bit of a false sense of security um, about this place. So anyway, it was Easter Sunday, 1993, and we went up to go and visit Andrew because we'd heard that they had cubs. And we got there and there was a note at the gate saying, oh, sorry guys, I've had to go out, but the cubs are in the bottom enclosure, go, you know, go for it. So in we went, it's me and Peter, Emma, Tony, and Pete's mum and dad. And we're wandering around and we go to the bottom enclosure and there's these two lionesses, there's about six cubs, and we're sticking our hands through the fence and we're scratching them behind the ears and, and it was wonderful. And Emma's like, oh my goodness, we've got kitty cats, whatever, whatever. And then Emma gets tired. So I put her, you know how you put kids on your back and whatever, feet are sticking forward. And I let her rest her foot on the fence. And she had little, little booties on with a rubber tip. And this female came up and she rubbed against the end of Emma's shoe. And up to this day, I don't know why, but she obviously didn't like it. She didn't like that feeling. So she turned around and she sank her teeth into the end of Emma's shoe. And then before we could do anything, she pulled and she sank her teeth into Emma's ankle. And then she pulled again and she sank her teeth into Emma's knee. So at this point, my three and a half year old child has got her entire right leg inside this enclosure. And this fully grown female lion has got her jaw locked over my daughter's knee. And we were all obviously shouting and carrying on and trying to hit her. And we both realised at the same time that actually if this lioness shook her head, then Emma's leg was gone. It was that simple. So Peter, by this time, Peter's now climbed the fence and he's hanging over and he's trying to, to kick. And then he did the most amazing thing. He dropped inside the cage and he physically opened this lioness's mouth with his bare hands and I pulled Emma back out. But now I've got Emma back and my husband's on the wrong side of the fence with two fully grown lionesses who are not overly impressed that their toy's been taken away from them. So he's just standing there and these two lionesses are coming at him. And he said afterwards that he actually hadn't thought about getting out. He just knew he had to sort, he had to help Emma, he had to do something. So Pete's dad grabbed him, put his hand through the fence, grabbed his collar and shake him and he turned round. And the two wardens had arrived with their bamboo sticks and they put one like that, one like that and now Peter's climbing up, up this fence and that's his sole protection. And as he starts climbing, I look up again. And what we didn't know was that there was a male inside the enclosure as well. And obviously all the noise and, and carrying on. And he's now coming to see what's going on. And he's running. And he's running. And as Peter's climbing, as Peter's climbing this fence, 
I'll see this male take off. And he's going, Peter, now I don't know if you know, but it's the females that hunt, it's not the males. The males are, are lazy, they're not the hunters. So if they go for something, if they jump for something, they are very confident that they're going to get what they're going for because they are not the hunters. So they, they wait until they know they've got a certain they've got a certain catch. So anyway, Peter's fortunately Peter hadn't seen this. He's climbing, this lion's jumping, and as I watched, this lion just hit a brick wall and he dropped like a brick. He did not do that. He did not miss. He was coming and he dropped like a brick. The only explanation I can offer to you is that there was angels there protecting him that day. That's all I can offer you. Because as I stand here today, that lion did not miss. He dropped as if he had hit a brick wall. We rushed Emma up to the house. We chucked her in a bath of cold water and dental. We splashed and out, wrapped her up in a towel and rushed up to the local hospital. Now this is rural Zimbabwe. It's Easter Sunday in rural Zimbabwe. We get to the hospital. We are literally the only Europeans there, the only white faces. So we stood out slightly. Um, we walk up to the reception desk, which is literally just a table. Um, and these two nurses, we're trying to explain to them what's happened. And basically they're saying to us, oh, well, you can just go sit in the waiting room and, and somebody will help you at some point. And I'm going, no, no, that this, this, this can't wait. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being funny. I'm trying not to be hysterical. But I'm also saying this can't wait. This, this is actually an emergency. And this beautiful African lady came out of the waiting room. And she says, what, what's the problem? And I, I unwrapped Emma's leg and I showed her. Um, and it was awful. I mean, there was fat hanging out of, of, the, of her ankle. Um, yeah, it was just horrendous. And this late, lovely lady just said, just a minute. And she walked back into the waiting room. And all the earaches and the tummy aches and the whatevers. And she went, sit down, shut up, she's first. She went back to the nurses and she said, sort it. I mean, I wouldn't have argued with And as she's saying this, these two um, doctors are walking down the passageway. They've obviously just come out of the operating theatre. And we found out afterwards they were Belgian missionary doctors. And they took Emma away. I mean, the, the door to the surgery, the theatre was literally a sheet. They took her away, they knocked her out, they scrubbed her leg, and they sewed her together with something that actually looked like fishing twine. But they put my daughter back together. Talking to us afterwards, they said that the only reason they were there, they were not scheduled to be on duty that day. They were not supposed to be there. They'd been called in because the lady that they'd been looking after, who they knew was carrying twins because they'd heard two heartbeats when she'd gone in for her regular checkups. Remember, we're not talking ultrasounds and scans and whatever. We just They just had stethoscopes and things like that. They knew she was carrying twins. They'd had to do an emergency caesarean. When they'd gone in to do the caesarean, they could only find one baby. She had two wounds. Have you ever in your life 
heard of anything. I mean, it was a day of, of miracles beyond miracles. So that was the only reason they were physically still in the hospital at that moment when we needed their help. Anyway, Pete's mom turns around when everybody's breathing again and, you know, we've got Emma back. And she looks at Peter and she said, my boy, don't you think there was a little bit more the luck involved in today? And that, that stuck with us. What's the difference between good luck and a miracle? That's perception. And this, this was a day of miracles. That night, as Emma was in bed, we're all sitting around in the lounge and Peter's got yet another beer in his hand. And um, I actually looked at him and I said, Peter, thank you for what you did today. Thank you. But can you tell me why? Why did you bother? And he, he looked at me and he said, what do you mean? I said, well, every weekend when I'm studying, you take the children out in the car and you get drunk and you drink and you drive with the children in the car. So every weekend you try and kill them. So why did you bother saving her today? Anyway, you're absolutely right. Put down his beer and hand on a heart. He has not touched a drop of drink since that day. <laughs> well, alcoholic drink anyway. So anyway, we get back to, to Joburg. Um, yeah, we had Doctors Without Borders on standby and all sorts, but we didn't need them. We got back to Joburg. Very good friends of ours who were Christians um, came and spoke to us, and they invited us to church. And so a couple of Sundays later, we find ourselves at church, at a big charismatic church, a little bit like Hillsong or Elam. But now remember, Tony's still a baby, Emma's still little. So there I am in the, in the mommy's room, watching through the window, thinking, what am I doing here? And Peter's in the congregation with our friends, and the next minute, he's walking down to the front of the church. And I'm like, well, what is he doing now? <laughs> and he didn't come back for ages. And, you know, find out later that he's actually given his life to Jesus. And, you know, in 2 Corinthians, it tells us that when you're born again, when you become a Christian, you become a new creation. Let me tell you, Peter became a new creation. He became the husband that I'd always dreamed of. Everything I'd ever wanted in a husband and a father and a friend. That was what he became. But the hard part was I, I hadn't changed. There was nothing different for me. I was studying. I had my escape plan already mapped out. And on top of that, there was somebody at work who was paying me way too much attention than what he should have been doing. And so the one night, so this was incredibly confusing. And I mean, literally, as I was driving to and from work, I could actually see this lion thing happening in front of my eyes. It was just there all the time. So the one night I'd been to study group 
and I'm driving home and I've got all this nonsense going on in my head. And it was, it was really, really hard. And I thought, okay, I know. Got it. There's a big Pentaken truck in front of me. I can make all this pain, all this craziness, all this confusion go away. If I drive into the back of this truck, I will die really quickly, but it's a big enough truck that he won't get hurt. That was my logic. And so I put my foot down. And it was I, literally seconds, seconds before it would have been too late. This voice in my head said, but if you die, what about your children? You'll never see your children again. And I put my foot on the brake and I pulled off the motorway. And I just cried out. I said, God, if you are real, if you are real, then take over my life. I am yours. Sort it out. Because I can't do this. I can't do this. That was my call out to God. Within weeks, I'd been offered a new job away from this person that was trying to disrupt my marriage. We found a beautiful church where we grew as a couple. We grew in our faith. We had been. Um, We've just gone, <laughs> we've gone from strength to strength. We haven't had a perfect marriage. I married Peter, what do you expect? <laughs> um, we haven't had a perfect life, but I do believe we are living our best life. Thank you. You know, I... As a young fella, at about 12, when I acknowledged that there was a God, is when I started running. And I ran, and I ran. Along the way, I caused chaos. I was selfish. I caused a lot of sadness. You know what? Dawn didn't tell you that I put it through absolute hell. I made her one day, me and my friend Neville, we climbed out onto the roof of a commie van going down the motorway. So she was driving us stark naked while we were pretending to shoot cars because we thought we were in a, an attack helicopter. And she had to drive us down the motorway like that. You know, and that's the kind of stuff I did. So I was, you know. I ran and I ran and I ran and I ran, but I couldn't hide. And, and you can run and you can try and hide. But the day you cross paths with God, and, and you've all crossed a path with God today, with this interaction today, and the times in the past, once you've crossed God's path, you won't let go. You can run and you can run, but you can't hide. We are thankful we have given life to the Lord and have tried our best. We try to live up to the man Christian in all things that we do. But the one thing that we have is we've felt confident, confident in the future no matter what. We will be in eternity.
together, we got you, you know, food will give you that lunch for the week. And for us, that's a very comforting thing. I, I guess maybe there's some people here today, there's some folk here today that says, Peter, I'm running. I'm running and I'm running and I've got that big empty space that you spoke about in your heart. But it might be in the all I'm just, my head is full of stuff. I don't know what I'm doing. I just feel like driving to the back of that companion can try. Yeah, and so what we're going to do is in closure, we um, we might have a band or maybe one person just play behind it. And, and anybody that wants us to pray with them or for them, and Glenn and Sean and Dylan, come forward and, and we'll pray for some people if you want them. Um, you might say, Peter, I, I, I've been running and I've got the things I want Jesus Christ and, and I'll be with you for that. Um, I might just be there to just want to pray about something and, and we'll be there with you. So, um, thank you for, I think we've gone over time by quite a bit, but um, I just trust that um, you're encouraged from today, um, that you've got something that you out of today and that you feel, hey, things aren't as bad as Pete, you know? I'm okay. Thank you, Jesus. So, uh, as we close, if you want to just come forward, we'll pray with you. Um, if, if those of you that don't want to come forward, you might just want to go in and have coffee or tea or something. Um, and that's okay.